The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC London Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night Dark Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com as well as MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. It's being recorded on Thursday night, Pacific time, so always, always late morning time for you. Londoners, by the time uh, this comes out, of course, we'll be breaking down UFC London, UFC Fight Night, 148, 147, UFC on ESPN Plus 5. What are we doing? How am I alive? If I sound different, it's because your boy, not even like the acid reflux uh, sore throat stuff. I think it's like a legitimate sore throat. I think, you know... I think finally this weather and, and rapid climate change we're all experiencing uh, is finally catching up to me. So everybody seems to be getting sick. And uh, I know uh, Gorgeous George was sick uh, earlier this week, and uh, some people in my family were sick. So I'm sure that's just what it is. But uh, hopefully you guys are healthy and well. And, uh, yeah, I, it hit me like a wall. It's one of those, you, you know, where you wake up and you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just a little off. It's okay. And you, I don't know. That's me. At least I try not to give these things power. I feel like then you know you just you give in. Somebody who just kind of powers through it. And uh, yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I'm gonna record this. Get to sleep early tonight, and hopefully uh, wake up feeling better. And everyone's on weight. We will be breaking down this card from top to bottom as per usual. I wouldn't call it an expedited version, but I'm going to try to get through it as fast as I can if my voice holds up. Unless I don't have much water, maybe I will have to take a break. But I'm going to try not to take a break. And I'm going to blow through a brief recap. couple notes. You know the drill. And then it's onward and upward. Uh, speaking of which, I know we get so drowned out with, you know, especially when we're on these long runs. I mean, you know, speaking of which, another reason probably my immune system usually tends to get run down by the end of these runs, but I'm actually not complaining. It's it, it's been a, a much more manageable schedule for me lately, so I don't even think it's that. I just think whatever coming around got me. But when we do get in these long schedules, what I was trying to say is that we, we tend to forget about the top five episodes, so uh, I made sure to bring those back, although it won't be coming... Uh, Per se, during this run, it's actually going to be that empty, empty week before UFC 236. But the topic, which I'm not going to tell you guys uh, uh, until the week of, um, it w- will be apropos to that card. And uh, there will be a fight vault, uh, a fight vault accompanied to it. Uh, yeah, that is the truncated video version that I do with MMA Junkie. Of course, uh, usually they are done from previously done top fives, but. 
it's not an endless well that I've previously stored before we started doing these. And not all of them really are translatable to video, like top five walkouts and whatnot, because then you're dealing with licensing issues and all, all things that they don't, you know, Junkie's got a great film, uh, uh, vault, uh, vault, film vault, shout out to the film vault real quick. I got another shout attached to that, actually. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... They've got a great uh, vault to pull from uh, and all that, but it's not uh, unlimited, right? You can't just cite things in MMA history and have them appear. But um, so th th this is going to be, uh, you know, kind of a tricky one, so I'm going to try to time it to come out around the same time. So um, it'll be seamless. I mean, they're, they're kind of two different products anyway, so you, you, you still get the bang for your buck. And, and they seem to, you guys seem to like those well. Uh, they seem to click pretty well. So thank you guys for, for checking those out. And the reason why I emphasize Film Vault, uh, shout out to them. I know I always uh, mention them, but I was actually talking to a listener of the program, Sound of Violence, at TSOV Pod. And uh, a little bit of back and forth banter. And, uh, you know, he, he also is a fan of similar podcasts that I've been listening to for a minute. Apparently, this. This gentleman's been listening to him longer than I have, but yeah, Film Vault and uh, Corolla Show are, are are things that I kind of uh, grew in listening in, probably because I was rock working in the construction site when back in Corolla was on the radio. And yeah, there are certain uh, influences, some some not so obvious, some very obvious, Fight Vault, Film Vault, Top 5. I mean, thankfully, Top 5 isn't a copyrighted thing. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it's the Protect Your Neck podcast is, is, is the home of the top five. The Fault Fight Vault is just kind of a nice name we have there for the, uh, truncated video version. But yeah, make no mistake. I always give credit where credit's due and, and you got to, you can't, you can't deny, you know, uh, the fact is the saying is true. You have to take something, uh, that inspires you and try to make it your, 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 your own. own. And so shouts to them. If, uh, films essentially it's what I do with the top five mixed martial arts they just do it with film topics so forth that's the film vault Anderson and Brian shouts to those guys and the sound of violence thank you for listening sir uh, anyways alrighty uh, yeah so the, the top fives are coming soon I know some people asked about that and uh, posted it and uh, maybe even pulled some more guests from that post so hey let's do it I, I, I gotta get better uh, you know about pumping those out I like them, you like them, everyone's a winner. All right, um, yeah, uh, let's go to this quick recap real quick, just what you talk, going to read off some results, and then we'll push on to UFC London. Sound good? No, just push on you. All right, sounds good. Well, you guys are used to me being kind of, you know, my schizo ass by now, right? Right? <laughs> Where is the results page? Where is the results page? There it is. Uh, yeah, I got washed, man. You sh UFC washed it all. Jesus Christ, your boy got a uh, didn't do too well here. It's kind of a crazy card, and I guess that's why you know my, my defense. You picked it. Those are usually the more more fun ones to watch, which is true, more entertaining. But uh, for the most part, but uh, betting wise, yeah, man, picks. Oof, yeah, took a beating. Uh, Alex White did defeat Dan Moret. Oh, it was an exciting one. Uh, Morono did beat Otto. That that helped. Um, Schnell beat Lewis Smoker. Wow. Shouts to John John Rico's doppelganger, Matt Schnell. Super impressive stuff. Uh, really happy for him. You know, interviewed him in the studio and uh, just such a damn likable guy. You can see why so many fighters invite him them to train with him. But I do feel bad for Smoke. And, uh, you know, mainly just because of his... Uh, you know, guys that are you know in their head or dealing with things like alcoholism or whatever you know you just 
you don't want them to you know, relapse and uh, you can't control everything. People are ultimately responsible for themselves, but this game has some real highs and lows that, that we, we, even us hardcores, tend to take for granted. So best to him. Maurice Green defeated Jeff Hughes. Uh, by the way, I didn't say it last time, but Maurice Green is also the same guy that <laughs> when I had my uh, injured hand, I think it was like the first we had my cast off. And uh, I just caught in this, got caught in this weird scenario where I was usually giving everybody my left hand. And uh, I was, uh, George set me up for a handshake. I didn't want to look rude, but I only can come so close to him because my, my, my wired headset was attached. So my right arm was the closest, my right hand was the closest, so I reached it out. And I'm like, what did I just do? I just lent my hand out to this 6'7 monster. And it was like that scene from Animal House, for those of you old enough to remember the 1978 classic. And they, <laughs> they go into the, the black club, and <laughs> the giant guy comes over. Do you mind if we dance with the old dates? No, not at all. <laughs> and they just leave. <laughs> yeah, my poor hand. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Uh, Grant Dawson beat Julian Arosa. Uh, another failed shot on Arosa, but, uh, a little sip of water here. But that Grant Dawson kid, um, let's see, man. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see him, uh, his next fight, you know, uh, really liked his wrestling, but, you know, just, just, you know, I'm sure he wants to get back in there after the layoff, so. Excited to see that kid grow. He could be something good. He could be, uh, you know, uh, you know. He kind of reminds me of too. He he actually stylistically, and and shouts to to uh, Jeremy Kennedy, uh, who's been I believe you know, last time I checked, putting a win streak back together. But he kind of reminds me of him. Uh, you know, maybe sure they're both skinny white dudes, skinnier frame white dudes, the lighter blonde hair, but uh, just well rounded. Can mix it up and, and some underrated wrestling. Obviously, da da Dawson more of a. Uh, wrestling more part of his game, but you know we'll see. Uh, Yannick guy defeated Marion Renault. Um, you know I I wasn't watching this one close enough. I was kind of doing stuff around the house. I think I, like while watching it, and then it got real interesting come the third round. I stopped to watch the third round, but uh, I have to rewatch for scores on that. Uh, R.I.P. on his nose. Hopefully uh, Mama Kunitz guy is okay. All right, Rocco Martin did beat Sergio Moraes. Picked that one right as I swell. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, good for Rocco Martin, uh, the mutton chops come, came strong and hopefully keeps those around. All right. Uh, uh, poor Tim Bosch got his nose messed up as well. Night of Noses by uh, Omari Ahmedov, a Durka Durka Jihad, uh, got the win there. Uh, that guy continues to pull out wins. He's just, he's pretty much Dagestani Woodley, uh, slightly more active and wild though. Um, you know, just circle on the outside and just start winging crosses and hooks as soon as you come into his vicinity. The occasional double leg shot tries to hold you down but won't sell out necessarily. Uh, yeah. Uh, Benil Dariush defeated Drew, Drew Dober. Picked that one right, but like I said, I was real tempted to pick Dober there, and I think we kind of saw why. That was a hard one, at least for me to pick. Uh, even off Rockwell, got to rewatch it, but I did score it for Ben. I'm not not ready to say it was an outright robbery, but I think I just feel terrible for Ben Rothwell again. Dude had some emotions. Wanted to hear what he had to say. Ben, a big Ben. And you actually, you know, say what you will. Blagoy Ivanov, deceptively tough guy and really tough to look good against. And Ben Rothwell, for his layoff, I would argue looked above average. Cause that said, I mean, my my expectations were very low for older heavyweight. 
uh, coming off that long of a layoff. So with that caveat, he, he exceeded the expectation for what it's worth and thought that enough to win the fight. But I guess not. Uh, Nico Price beats Tim Means. Jesus Christ. I mean, Nico Price, just add him to the list of like guys Dan Tom cannot get a beat on. And, you know, I think his style is kind of proving me you know, right there, I guess, in my defense for what that's worth, in the sense that, you know, he's losing these fights until he's winning them kind of a thing. Old Nico there. And, um, but I just, I just can't, you know, again, like my same reasons before, he looked kind of choppy and this and that. Then he wins enough, and you're like, okay, I guess maybe there's something there after he beats Joe Ban. Then he, uh, then he loses, and you're like, why did I pick him against Luke? That was dumb. Luke is awesome. I know it was short notice, but Jesus Christ. And then uh, he comes back, and then he, you know, and then you're like, okay, he's, he's, he does suck, or not suck, but he's choppy, and maybe he's overinflated the price, you know. And Nico's awesome, by the way. Fan, even, you know, <laughs> A fan of this, this craziness, although we got to be careful being fans of people's craziness because some people are actually crazy. Uh, oof, since Tony Ferguson news, by the way, dropping right before I started recording this for what that's worth, timestamp. I was going to wait for more information, speaking of the Tony Ferguson thing. I'm already seeing people tear him apart for it, and even like media people kind of just uh, using it to make statements or tweets or quote tweets and stuff, and it's... <clears throat> Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to hold off and not because I'm a fan of Tony and been like the, you know, self-proclaimed hardest flag waver, which by the way, <laughs> if I have one joke about this, it's that it's like, all right, I'm going to start <laughs> taking my Tony Ferguson flag quietly and start whistling with it behind my back, walking over to the Dustin Poirier mound, sticking it in there, <laughs> whistling off. Hey, hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> That's about as far as I'll go about joking about it, but I just want to wait for more news. I mean, you know, and Matt Hughes stuff is uh, is one thing, but, uh, you know, that guy had a lot of history and self-admitted history of being an asshole uh, and not crazy. I think there's two different things there. And from the stuff I read in that report, it does not sound like you're run-of-the-mill um, douchebag uh, playbook. <coughs> <clears throat> I think something's coming. Trying to hydrate. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean a sidetrack there, but uh, but yeah. So so. Anyways, but Nico Price uh, again uh, with that with that random left turn of a street deep emotional caveat. I like his craziness. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this was just like you know the, the fight was going exactly like I thought. You know, he's piecing him up, showing levels to this game, and then boom, right hand, right. Um. That was gross, man. He broke his thing in his thigh, and, and Nico got the bonus like he deserved to. But again, I didn't get to talk about it on. Uh... Boy, this fight's kind of segueing to the. Well, at least it knocks out the only news notes that were worth touching before we move on to this London breakdown. Um, I didn't get to t- touch on the bonuses because uh, the, the McGregor uh, uh, phone thing hit, and uh, uh, we had to react to that, and that kind of ate up most of the show, uh, as McGregor news does to most people's program. Let's be honest, people. Uh, cause that's how it is. I mean, how many, like I was saying on the junkie radio, like how, how many, uh, how many hearings is this guy going to have fucking racking up? He said the NACC one, he said the Brooklyn one. Now he's got Miami stuff. Like at a certain point, like I was joking at a certain point, like they're going to, you're going to see these community servers, whether it's with the Pope or something. <laughs> like, and then be like, all right, Connor, you're going to pay this time. We sentence you to this much community service. And, 
You know, you're gonna see fucking Patty, Patty Houlihan walk into the church. The chop chop's ready for community service. <laughs> and the bishop and the priest kind of just pause for a second, look at each other. Is that the is that the same Irish guy? I think so. <laughs> it's like Goodwill Hunting when Matt Damon sends Ben Affleck for the. Uh, in for the uh, interviews, and he fucking ends up shaking the people down. <laughs> Retainer. You you want us to pay you now? Retainer. <laughs> Anyways, Jesus Christ. But uh, but yeah, the, the bonuses, back to the bonuses, it, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, it just it was crap. I forget they gave it to, to Lewis and DeSantos, which we'll get to. It didn't deserve it. Um... I mean, this was an amazing one-round fight. We just rewarded a one-round fight not too long ago. Uh, with, a, with I can't think of it, but the UFC did a fight of the night. That was one round not too long ago, within the calendar year. And many of us, including myself, MMA Junkie, awarded, well, maybe not. Maybe, uh, you know, never mind. Uh, that's a bad example. I'm getting confused. But the point is, there was, pre there was recent precedence for it, and... and not only that, it was a you know head and shoulders the one that should have should have done it. Like I always say, like take it you know props to Dana White in, in the sense that he was saying that you know he mentioned the backroom bonuses and we haven't heard that in a while and that was actually really refreshing. I'm not saying they're a lot; they probably aren't. But the fact that they're still doing them that makes me feel better. That being said. We don't exactly see Dana White and the UFC brass doing what they did with Mar you know, Diego Sanchez versus Martin Campman, where there's such a great fight. They want to reward uh, each guy, especially because, and it's like a double reward. I think they even upped the reward, too, because, you know, the decision probably went to the wrong guy. So they are rewarding both fighters, but also kind of, at, by the same stroke, two birds with one stone, because why wouldn't the fuck you do that in life when you can? <sighs> They do it, but they didn't do it here. Not for a guy like fucking Tim Means, who always delivers fucking wars, who's a veteran of the sport, a veteran of your organization in two divisions, a guy that is able to overcome real adversity from being shot, stabbed, fucking going to prison, coming back and just wanting to be a good dad. Oh, and then your fucking USADA, uh, lovely USADA sidelines him, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I know people have different opinions on USADA, but uh, I don't know. If, I don't think they got one of the bad guys with Tim Means. I mean, dude, look at the guy. He looks like fucking Skinny Pete from Breaking Bad if you plugged him into the Matrix. You know, I know Kung Fu Machine. Like, that's Tim Means. Uh, and he comes through that, comes through that, and loses some key fights, loses some fucking... Split decisions, gets fucked over on some travel on some of those flights that I believe was on the UFC's end uh, on those weird performances like that rematch with Cowboy. Um, but it's just one of those guys who's just too tough and not complaining and blue-collar for his own damn good kind of a guy, I think. And here's your fucking chance to give him $50,000. Who knows if he's going to come back from this the same, that, that kind of injury. Uh, plus the knockout, you know, he had a great chin. He never was knocked out aside by an injury before that. But, you know, they say those guys almost get it worse because they just take so many shots. And then when they do start getting knocked out, it's like they drop off a cliff. We see that so many times. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to be the case for Means. I wish him the best recovery. We, I'm sure we all love Tim Means fights. 
But God damn, that was a fucking ball drop by the UFC to not give him. So fucking easy. And what gets me mad is, and we'll, I'll do co-main event last. What gets me mad is Andrew DeSantos beats Derek Lewis in a fight that, you know, it's just kind of comical. But, I mean, it's good for DeSantos. It raises his stock. But um, it's just tough, man. I'm a Derek Lewis fan, and I like his coach, Bob Perez. And he came on. You know, I made Junkie Radio, and all those guys have a great relationship with the show, and, and yada, yada, we all like the antics, yada, yada, But it's just, like, at a certain point, it's almost frustrating. Like, I wasn't one of those guys, for example. Like, remember, here's a good example. Pacquiao Mayweather. Remember everybody was upset with Pacquiao uh, when they found out that it should, not that just the fight sucked, but they're like, oh, his shoulder was out. I mean, this happens a lot. This happens a lot with Derek Lewis, but this is just kind of the direct parallel because Derek Lewis has had a lot of these, right? And then everybody gets more mad. I was already mad that I spent money on a shitty fight because you guys said it was going to be good, and you rolled into that thing injured knowing you couldn't perform. You just wanted to collect that money and collect my money, collect our money. I get that argument. I'm not trying to challenge that argument, but for the record, I wasn't one of those people uh, with that. And I haven't been for Lewis up until now, though. And I don't know if I'm alone. I don't know if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to be honest and fair, as fair as I can be, while being, uh, of course, honest, up, up, you know, for most importantly. And it's frustrating. And I picked Dos Santos here. I mean, I, 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 I barely pick Lewis, but this is why I barely pick Lewis. You don't know what the guy, what guy's going to show up, uh, how his training is. And I get in spirit what his coach is saying uh, I do as far as you ruin a guy like Derek Lewis if you try to make him jab, cross, jab, jab, cross every f other fighter. But, man, I really think a lot of those things would, would help him some type of process, right? Because it's rolling the dice in there, especially when you're injured, it doesn't seem to be working out that well. And I was just curious on how motivated he was going to be if he was, you know, showing up you know, just showing up, showing up to collect because, again, this is not a knock on Lewis to his own admission. He doesn't really seem to like fighting. He just wants the money. He doesn't care about the title. He's here to get paid and take care of his family. This is his own admission. And as crazy as some, some of y'all, I guess the general public, like to think it is, that fighters don't like to fight, as seen when, when Nick Diaz tells us for the 1500th time yet, Everybody still wants to fucking fantasy matchmake him, whether it's Dana White or the media. Um, yeah, guys, guess what? It, it it's not fun for a lot of you know these. They're not superhuman. They're they're human. Yeah, they're fighters, but they're human. You'd be surprised how many share that attitude and maybe aren't aren't as vocal about it. Um, and props to guys. That's why we love guys like Nick Diaz and Derek Lewis. At least that side of them. And because of that, I, I totally sure. But, but don't be surprised. And with that said, you know, what is he showing up for? You know, we talk about guys who made most money in a calendar year, and I know Justin Gaethje has got to be in the argument. He gets the double bonus or whatever um, with Michael Johnson, the debut, whatever signing bonus, if there was one, goes right into a tough series with Eddie Alvarez, toughs decent money, right? Uh, then gets the fight on pay-per-view with Eddie Alvarez, though he's not getting any points. That's not a main event or anything like that. Uh, loses, but that, I believe, got the fight of the night. So he gets bonus there. And then within a year, he's back. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. But yeah, I mean, he essentially has, like, you know, bonus, bonuses, bonuses, double bonuses, win bonuses, 
mixes of each, right? He had a crazy calendar year, or a 12-year, not calendar years, right, but a 12-year span. <clears throat> Whereas Derek Lewis, you go and you look at the Volk, I don't have it right in front of me, but essentially, you know, the Volkov, the bonus, uh, then he gets the DC fight where, you know, what did he get, like 800,000 to over a million? You know, DC was saying he's a millionaire now because of this fight. He didn't get the, uh, I don't think they got fight of the night, God, I hope not that night. Uh, so I don't think he got any of the bonuses, but, you know, he got taken care of, you know, a million plus for that fight. Then he gets, he does a TV show, and I know this is an under, maybe this kind of takes him out of the argument because that's, that's not nine UFC dollars now we're talking about. Pretty much in between this and straight into a camp. So it's like how, you know, this dude's talking about being overfought and overtrained for over two or three years now and being injured, and his weight's only going up. I mean... Well, he, his weight is only recorded about eight fights in, but once he starts being recorded, I think he, he hits as low as 239, and now he's reportedly cutting down from 285 to 290. You mean he's pretty much, so he's gone up 50 pounds since his back injuries. So I don't know if those are signs of him getting any better, especially when he's gassing or coming in with other injuries for compensation. It's just like, what what are we doing here? And I put it in a very, I put that in a, in a much more politer way on the radio show when we had uh, his coach Bob Perez on. And and I'm glad uh, his coach really, uh, you know, got it and didn't get offended by it and, and even answered genuinely, candidly, and I agree with Bob Perez's answers. I just want him to take time off. He didn't even want him to fight, you know, which 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 ended up coming out later um, through other sources as well. But, Yeah. And so it was just like, it was just super frustrating, like as a, as a Derek Lewis fan, as a fight fan, as someone covering the sport, just frustrating on all these levels. And the reason why I mentioned the money thing is because, again, the fucking guy went through prison, stabbing, shootings, fucking USADA bullshit, and will never sniff the amount of money Derek Lewis has touched in the last year. Just got robbed so, so we can make some other guys pile bigger who just showed up. That's fucked up. All right, end of, end of that rant. And it makes it sound like I, I'm coming at Junior DeSant, uh, or Derek Lewis there. That's more just upset with... I know I'm always the guy Monday morning on a junkie radio complaining about the UFC bonuses, but I give them credit when it's due uh, for those bonuses. But, uh, but man, they, they, they drop the ball so, uh, so much. And it's just... I mean, they're such life-changing bonuses, man. You hear story after story, and for them to just consistently drop the fucking ball to pay the guy who was already getting paid just pisses me off. All right, um, Zaleski, and then, okay, Zaleski DeSantos won. Happy to see DeSantos win, uh, although it just, uh, it's funny now, it's like you know, everybody on the DeSantos train, and I get that. I get why people would be defensive of that. The only thing that I get pissed off is because I actually picked Melender, and I feel like there was. There were decent reasons to pick Melinder because we really didn't see, we haven't really seen Zaleski fight a smart fight. We've seen him in nonstop fun fights, and everybody, including myself, was saying that, and that was true. But we didn't see him show that he could fight a smart tactical fight when he needed to, and he pretty much did a surgical flawless fight. So I don't, you know, I don't know how 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 harsh you can come at people for picking Melinder, uh, as I know a lot of people, not not just myself, did. But, uh, but man, it was one of those fights I just said to stay away from him in the get-go. I did. I'm glad I did. Uh, because, again, it was even though I, I like Curtis Melinda a lot, we've interviewed him. Uh, I've been a big fan of Dos Santos for a while. Anybody knowing that this podcast knows this or anybody listening to Junkie Radio, I've been saying it for the past couple of years on there. Um, so that was the only thing that kind of upset me 
I was happy for Zaleski, but then people were like, it's apparently, because you, apparently you can't pick against someone and be happy for them in this sport. Like, that makes no fucking sense, because we have to be red team versus blue team, because there's not enough of that in this fucking country. God fucking damn it. Anyways, other than that, it was a great card. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Damn, what are we at? Uh, 28 minutes. Let's get to fucking UFC London, shall we? I'm going to pull up lines. As per usual, we're going to go from top to bottom. Hey, maybe it's, I'm, you know, I'll blame I'm not, I'm sick when I'm recording this, folks. That didn't go easy on me. All right. Yeah, right there. Ba-bum-bum. Ba-bum-bum. All right, this one I actually did a thorough breakdown on. Down until minus 230. Come back on Jorge Masvidal. Plus 190. Um, yeah, this was... Uh, <clears throat> I initially didn't like this fight because I like both guys. And then I'm like, ah, what does it do? Oh, man, it's a tough fight for Masvidal. And it is a tough fight for Masvidal uh, on paper, no matter how you cut it. I mean, but Masvidal's coming off of two losses. I mean, this, this might not go well for him. Which it might not, but I but I ended up picking game bread. This was a really tough fight to pick for me. I mean, but essentially, <clears throat> you know, it, it's funny. Anytime, and I said this in the breakdown video, anytime, and I've, I've probably said this in this podcast before too, anytime a fighter, a challenger, not the champion, the champion as well, but it's more deserved, but anytime the challenger fails at a title bid, his next fight, even if he does poorly like Darren Till did, he's going to get heavy respect on the odds. Now, I know the English come hard to the betting lines, and I'm guessing we're seeing a lot of that here, too. I'm not discounting that. That this is. Let me just state that off the bat. That is definitely present here. But, but in general, I argue that a percentage of this line, and definitely a percentage in general, when a challenger bids for the title and fails, there is still a bit of that rub. Like this guy, you know, especially in this day and age where we're so quick to forget, you know, uh, because the next fight's the next week. By the time their next fight does come around, we're like, oh, this guy just came off a fight for the title. And there's a certain air about them, you know, um, and it's, it's it's really dangerous. Even if they get dominated, they're they're more confident. The odds makers are more confident. I don't have it off the top of my head, but wasn't Dan Hardy's uh, shocking KO loss to Carlos Condon? Didn't that come right after? Yeah, I believe UFC 120s and UFC 111 was when he got dominated by George, right? But, you know, he's, he makes his comeback. He's the English star, and they, they put him up there. But the old-school guy who's super durable, and he's lost to Sheriff fights, sure, but he's always there in the fight, Carlos Condit. We saw what happened. Yeah, I didn't even think of that example when I was breaking this down. That works pretty damn good, doesn't it? I'm going to pretend I thought of that ahead of time, guys. Uh, but, uh, but and that's what I see here with Jorge Masvidal, you know. Uh, everyone's posting his fights in the streets, and that's awesome. And by the way, finally, finally, the first time someone actually comments on it, I've been breaking down Jorge Masvidal on print, printed website or whatever. That's not even the right word, but, you know, on, on a, yeah, whatever. My, my brain's not working. Since 2015, and every one of those, this goes, every one of those, 
uh, I put undefeated in the streets under supplemental info. It's like back at mixedmartialanalyst.com and onward. You can go see that. And no one really ever comments on that. And finally someone did in the junkie comments. But, of course, they were like, they didn't get it. They were like, they took the literal sense out of it. And they were like, how did he even know if he's undefeated in the streets? And what does that even have to do with the fight to make it under supplemental info? Le sigh, sir. Le sigh. You do not get game bread then, clearly. You, you do, if you do not get that little nod that I put in the breakdown. But thank you for at least noticing it. Anyways, undefeated in the streets. Uh, but uh, no, uh, it's, I also was in the RIP old UFC bios that were actually accessible. Now to their fucking shit flash website. Um, you would actually see it that he actually has that under his profile. So that's where I got it from. I was just giving a nod to Jorge there. Jorge self-nod. But uh, he only has one TKO in his record, and you go look at that fight, you know, and I said this in the breakdown video we recorded early this week that, you know, you go look at that, it's a early stoppage. The, the Japanese ref just gets in there real quick, and, and it's done. Jorge's fine. Like, his eyes are perfectly clear. He's responding. Uh, and we've seen him get dropped before. Most times he was getting dropped, it was that, it was that lightweight, you know, Darren Crookshank or... Even that rogue ass fucking kick by um, uh, Kabilov. That's right, Air Force One hijacker Kabilov. Um, yeah, man. Which, by the way, that kick gave him some mileage. Like, oh, he's a good striker. That Jorge Masvidal. He really never like landed a spin kick since. It's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, you know. And oh yeah, and Michael Chiesa, which was strange. So you know, that, that, we'll get into that too because was Jorge is five and two against UFC Southpaws and. That was kind of a weird shifting left-right, left-right combination as he was running at him, not taking away from Chiesa. I mean, Chiesa exceeded expectations despite getting finished that fight because uh, he was doing well early. He had some moments, but once Masvidal gets a beat on you, that's it. He keeps his composure. He's been in those deep waters, been in more five-round fights. He's taken them short notice. Both guys show they can go five rounds adverse conditions. I mean, Darren Till did it when, with the terrible weight cut. So both guys are durable. So that's why it might surprise people that I put Jorge by decision, but it's because I just have a hard time seeing either guy finish him the other unless uh you know Darren seems pretty good condition in the body when he has been hit there but Jorge goes there a lot in general but he especially goes there against southpaws or taller fighters more so he really celebrates that space uh and that's why I think it's going to look more like that Tim Means and James Krause fight uh James Krause he really went to his body as well but then he's mixing in takedowns, not just changing his levels on his strikes, but takedowns, putting out more volume, and usually gets kind of sapped there because he'll kind of cruise. He's been a bit better at that at welterweight, but he still had some of his hiccups. I mean, Benson Henderson, who's kind of a consummate round winner, was was you know just punctuating the rounds to. I feel like the more I watch it, even though you could still argue that Jorge won that fight, um, the more I see why it was scored for Benson, and I, I predicted a Benson decision and, and I wasn't like upheavaled at the decision in real time, but I did share the sentiment of anybody thinking that could have gone Jorge's way. Uh, because that's also because I, 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 I value body work much more than an MMA judging does for some reason, which is especially weird if MMA judges, their criticism is all, oh, they're more boxing oriented. They should know what body work looks like. Fucking sakes for fuck's sakes. But uh, anyways, <clears throat> Uh, and that kind of ties into his Jorge Masvidal. He usually does really well against Southpaws. I mean, from back in the day, you know, uh, getting onto the radar with that Eves Edwards KO back at Bodog. I mean, that was just awesome. I posted that at the beginning of the week just because uh, 
Just because I like, oh my god, what's, I can't even think of the guy's name now. That's fucking terrible. I mean, the, the boxing commentator they had, and just having that classic voice lent over from boxing over to MMA was always just, uh, was always just fantastic. Uh, just kind of fantastic. Uh, one of the more fun parts about watching these those Bodog fights. But yeah, you know, five and two again against Southpaws, and those only losses again. Benson Henderson close fight, uh, short notice, five rounds. And a split, another split decision loss, and that was Damian Maya, which you can kind of throw the southpaw thing out of there because we all know it's more of a can you defend the takedown and separate uh, IQ test if you're facing Damian Maya. And he did very well, I would argue. I picked him to win. He did not, but I, I, would, I would argue he exceeded a lot of people's expectations in, in a lot of those uh, positions. Um. That being said, I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to get Darren Till down uh, at all, but I think he's going to be uh, close to you know impossible for him to get him down in that first round. I think it's going to have to come later or off a knockdown of some sort because uh, Darren Till's tough to take down. Uh, I you know I, I've said it in all the breakdowns just because it, I just look at how he moves. He you know and a lot of like I said a lot with a lot of Muay Thai fighters if you're going to Stereotype strikers for not for having or not having takedown defense. I think you have to give most credit to, to Muay Thai for chances of translating into decent takedown defense or good, because they just have to do so many kind of wrestling drills already, neck wrestling and just kind of uh, you know, aware of trips and foot sweeps and really just having to keep a strong core for many reasons, defensively and offensively. So you see that translate very well, and Darren Till does so. I mean even. Woodley, Woodley got him down from a knockdown, I and mean, he, he he couldn't take him down. Um, but that that said, he was also going from a body lock where Jorge is good and does get most of his takedowns off the cage. That'll be good news if he can get Darren Till against the cage. Uh, Darren Till's dangerous in the clinch, but Jorge just striking in and out of the breaks where I see him kind of punctuating here. That's where I see him having his moments. Uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, whether he's looking to go off the breaks or wrestle, he'll be good there. But again, I don't think his percentages will be as high uh, for, for the aforementioned reasons to take Darren Till down. That being said, when we do see Darren Till taken down, they're off of well-timed takedowns, and I think he can get those. I mean, Stephen Thompson was able to get some. He didn't really follow through. That wasn't Stephen Thompson's game. Thompson was using it more to kind of dissuade pressure anytime he was getting corralled too close. He didn't really follow up on it too much, which probably was a big mistake in hindsight. Uh, not that he maybe could have. There wasn't. He didn't have a lot of control on any of his takedowns, but but he didn't really try either, you know. Um, and I did slightly score that for Thompson, but you, you can't get mad at that. Uh, I don't believe in that. Well, Till knocked him down. Listen, I'm a fan. If we put it out a vote today, I'd be I'd be voting with you as far as Japanese scoring. But that's not Jap. We're not doing Japanese scoring. We're doing t we're doing round by round. And uh, again, not upset. Uh, didn't think it was a robbery by any means. It was a close fight. Not, not believe me. I'm not trying to die on any hills here, but I just hate when people say, you know, if it comes down to you know these kind of fights, and there's like, ah, oh, well, you know what? He just he had that one moment, so that's fine for five rounds. Like that one moment justifies one round. <laughs> you know, uh, I think I think there was a lot of that argument with uh, what was it the uh, Wild Fury Wilder. Uh, with the scoring and moments, and it can get tricky. I'm not trying to get, get start those arguments, but yeah. Anyways, uh, it's a good point though because you know hometown judging, and we've seen that uh, many times before. 
And Monster Doll has a rich history with losing split decisions, so I totally get why it seems weird that I pick Monster Doll, much less Monster Doll by decision, but unless Till can sting, I obviously get Monster Doll out of there. You can do what no one else has been able to do, uh, but uh, he's going to have to really sting and take control early and really convince uh, out bravado the you know, the the, the, the unshakable bravado king in there. So I don't know, man. That's going to be tough. I, I'm going to love it, though, because both guys are really unshakable in that department. Um, I just feel like Jorge's been doing it longer. And uh, it's crazy, man. I'm a Darren I'm a Darren Till fan. I am. I know, I know he gets a lot of, you know, haters. Uh, you know, uh, maybe because when you have, like, so many people and country people and, and hype and all these different things, you get hate on the other side. I, I like the, I, I like what I see from the guy. He's a fun guy to watch fight and all that. Uh, so believe me, uh, even though I think I picked against him twice now. Shit. Three times. Shit. Okay, I picked against him a lot now, it seems like. I, I do like the guy. It's not that this is believing. This is kind of where the analysis falls, and it does make me wonder. Even though I, I feel like, you know, his haters are unfair and I, I, I enjoy Darren Till. I think he's got a bright future, probably at middleweight, let's be honest. Um, and we'll get to it, but there's like two or three. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention, uh, this ties into this note. I didn't mention, I will say the guess is, Aaron, shout out to Aaron Bronstetter. He was, uh, if you didn't catch that little hint on Twitter. He's going to be the next uh, top five uh, person. This isn't going to be the topic we're going to do, but I, this will be one we threw out we're going to do probably later on down the road, especially because we just did the Mike Tyson prototypes, and it falls kind of similar. Uh, but uh, one of the ideas we're talking about is, uh, you know, uh, prospects essentially didn't work out, and I don't know the wording, and it's better I don't get it right. But uh, I bring that up because you know, I feel like you could have, there could be possibly three of those in this card. Um, the way these fights could go, in retrospect, when we start looking, when we look back and go, oh, okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't so, you know. And uh, I hope that's not the case for Darren Till, but I'm picking Jorge Masvidal too to get it done here uh, with uh, more volume, well-timed takedowns and punches off the break. That's what I see. Let's see if Darren Till can uh, open up, and, and hopefully he's coming in healthy and not limited himself like he said he was in the middle of his career, which is why he was mainly throwing just kind of one shot. All right, um, next fight. This one's pretty contentious, and the line is, is showing so. Leon Edwards, minus 135 in the co-main event, opposite Gunnar Nelson with a comeback on him at plus 115. Gunnar, Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar. Um, yeah, meet us on. This is an interesting one. Um, you know, I was I was actually talking with uh, shortly before this with with, with Aaron. We we're, were discussing the, the top five stuff, and he brought up this match. Just one of my thoughts on it, and, and uh, you know, I'll tip my hand here as the video is already out. I'm, I'm I'm taking Edwards, and I don't know if he said he's taking Nelson, but I'm pretty sure because he said just essentially just in, in just go listen to his podcast. By the way. Uh, I'll, I'll pull it up here. But uh, he uh, he essentially said he thinks that uh, it, it could be a, a very bad matchup for uh, for Leon Edwards, you know, a grappler of that sorts. And in his defense, you know, Leon Edwards himself said that he feels like Gunnar is a harder matchup than the guys that he's looking at, which is Till and Masvidal. 
and that's a huge credit. Um, you know, uh, he seems like a very genuine guy. Leon Edwards, not really a, a talk trash to talk trash guy. And uh, so, to Aaron's hypothesis credit, you know, the, the TSN MMA show, by the way, him and uh, Bazooka Joe. Go check that out. He sure gives his take on uh, on there. I had a good interview with Ian Heinish that I was listening to on that. But uh, but yeah, I, I think this is gonna be a bad matchup for Edwards. Now I'm on the other hand. Uh, but regardless, and I'll, I'll get into why here in a second. But regardless of what side you're on, I uh, we both agreed that this is gonna be one of the this has a high potential at least to be one of those matchups where once it's done. We're gonna look back and go, regardless of what side you are on, and go, oh, that was a bad matchup for that guy. I have a feeling, and it's hard to say. Again, records of southpaws, uh, Gunnar Nelson two and two against UFC southpaws, but that's a tricky one. Again, bringing up the Damian Maya sample size, that's one of his losses. That was it was a grappling loss, right? Um, I do think Leon Edwards could have some surprises like he did with Peter Sabota. I don't know if he'll be as hungry to do so, but it's a possibility, though I, obviously I don't see him Damian Maia and Gunnar Nelson. I think even Leon Edwards' supporters can can agree on that here, right? Uh, and then he's, oh, his other loss is to Rick Story. Now that one, a little more tells there. Um, you know, Leon will work the body with punches, but mainly will work the body with kicks, whereas obviously Story is a... a Vicious body puncher, uh, good pressure against the cage, but those, those check right hooks, those left overhands, um, were able to hit Gunner. This was early Gunner, obviously. Um, and yeah, we know we know how accurate uh, Edwards has been since Jump Street. It's been, it's been grappling and has been underrated, and it's his wrestling that has quietly improved. Uh, so okay, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe there, there's some credence there. Well, let's look at the Southpaws Gunner Nelson beat. Zach Cummings, who, you know, uh, I've been high on and giving him credit. I've been watching that guy since he was at 205, fighting in Titan, I believe, and uh, on HDNet and shit, watching that guy fight. And, uh, and you know, gave him more credit. And he was kind of one of those guys people in the know, like, oh, he's, you know, sleeper talent, talent guy as far as he doesn't look like much, but he's really talented. He's got the wrestling, jiu-jitsu. And uh, I didn't pick him against Gunner, obviously, but... Uh, you know, he, that was short notice, and I don't know how long he'd been making welterweight up to that point, but you know, I got to imagine that was a rough cut, and you see him tire in the second round, not saying the fight wasn't going to go that way. Anyways, but again, kind of mm, not 100% sold, let's just say, to be fair, on that sample size. Then who's the other southpaw that he beats was um, Alan Joban, and that one he actually did with strikes before getting the submission. That said, you know, I'm a big fan of Joe Ban, but what's the criticism on Joe Ban? Is that chin and uh, Gunnar Nelson does have those pinpoint crosses from both stances. Uh, you know, that being said, Leon Edwards looks like he's hard to hurt and he recovers well. Barbarina got, got him with that, uh, I believe it was an uppercut or a cross. I want to say it was an uppercut. And uh, you know, he recovered well from that, and that win aged well, I would argue. Obviously, as these wins over guys like Vincente Luque, uh, you know he's, he's he's grappled with tough grapplers like that before and had to protect his neck. He's he's aware of that and his position. You know, front headlock. I mean, I'd argue Luque is, is more dangerous than front headlock from Gunner. Now Gunner tends to use the front headlock to get the back, 
And Gunner is much more dangerous from the, on the back than Luke and most people in the division. Most people. Um, still, I'm just, just kind of laying some, 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 some measuring sticks, you know, to, for scale there. Uh, and then, of course, Peter Sabota, who, under, you know, Nogi grappling, uh, notable Dean Lister, uh, obviously, he specced uh, Black Belt into that guy. Um, and wasn't afraid to grapple with him. So if he does get in grappling situations, you know, I'm not sold. I mean, Gunnar Nelson, it's like a lot of great grapplers. He's got an excellent pathway. I mean, it's one of my favorite, you know, shoulder pressure, pass from half guard to mount, some strikes to soften him up, make him give your back choke, right? And he's got, you know, obviously it's more technical than that, but that's the gist. That's the pathway. He knows how to cook. But if you know how to wait your time, whether it's surviving or whether it's even bumping and bridging like I believe Tumanov might have done in the first round and granted that's Tumanov's specialty because that's probably the only thing he really does on the ground is his bump and bridge he doesn't really have much else past that but even that can work um so it's not like Gunnar Nelson is game over territory you know he's right there but Damian Maia so when I point to is a classic example when I point to game over territory and uh not that MMA math works for matchups, but to make that point, well, that kind of falls right into that point, because we saw what happened there. Uh, that said, does that mean does that mean Gunnar Nelson can't submit Edwards? No, of course not. But but I'm just saying that I'm arguing that it won't be it won't be that easy, uh, even if he does get get certain positions. Uh, it's going to be about winning rounds, and hopefully, you know, Gunnar looks stronger. But let's see if his strength and conditioning. Uh, helps him as far as gassing out because that also seems to be something that we keep an eye on with Gunner when the fight goes later. Whereas Edwards is just going to keep chugging hard. Um, I may play it because that line's getting lower, but now it's getting so low. It's like, is this going to flip? Should I just wait and see if it flips? But it's just such a close fight. I want to wait and see because, like I said, at the end of the day, no matter who you have, it's one of those fights you can be like, you know what? That was a bad matchup for both guys. All right, next match: Dominic Reyes minus two thirty-five, Vulcan Ozdemir comeback plus one ninety-five. Um, yeah, it feels like a dangerous fight because it's practically a heavyweight fight, and Ozdemir has his back in the corner. But man, this is just another way. And again, I like Gunnar Nelson, but and I like Ozdemir, but kind of like the example I was bringing up with when we're talking about the Darren Till fight about there's a lot of quote-unquote prospects or at one time prospects who after an if they after a hypothetical loss if they are to get one this weekend boy there's gonna be a lot of, and it's unfair obviously it's unfair there's such a fucking fickle sport from media to fans and everybody right we're, we're all guilty but I'm just saying with that in mind there's gonna be some heavy revisionist history uh, if Gunnar Nelson not just loses, but gets like knocked out by Edwards, if Darren Till gets stopped or just washed by Masvidal, right? Like, whoa, were these guys as good as we thought they were? You know, Ozdemir comes storming on the scene, and we realize, like, oh, wait, this guy has only been a decision, like, literally like, three times or something off the top of my head, and he's lost most of them, or though two times he won, one of them couldn't go on to OSP, both of them he gassed, right? Uh, I believe that, that, uh, that's that, it's correct. But, yeah, so it's like we could be looking at that here too, and that's a ruthless matchup to give him because it's. Uh, I think it's tough. I think 
I see Ozmir's point on why Dominic Reyes makes for a good matchup, but I think Dominic Reyes just has so much more wrestling than what is what he's shown, at least in the UFC stage. Because, you know, although the competition was even lower regionally, what he was doing was impressing me. When he's riding guys, uh, punching and transitioning, it's all high percentage choices. He's not, like, giving anything away. It's really impressive for a guy so goddamn young with such a limited sample size, uh, especially sample size to work with, which he is now kind of admitting, which is why now he went to Denver full-time as opposed to Joe Stevenson, great coach and corner, but he just didn't have bodies to work with in Victorville, California. Whereas Uzdemir was working hard knock 365, visa issues, so now he's kind of training in his original camp, which... You know, he's definitely saying the right things you got to say, putting the positive spin on it, returning to his roots. But I don't know, man. Because uh, I, I, I think the best he does here is he tags Reyes, and Reyes then Reyes has to go to his plan B. But if he's not working with wrestlers, Uzdemir, then I don't, I don't know if he's going to be ready for Reyes' plan B, which he'll have in his back pocket. And his plan A works pretty damn good, too, because his plan A is striking. And I like Dominic Reyes from the southpaw stance, his movement better. Um, he's got good uppercuts, which is uh, body kicks and body shots and uppercuts is what you want to do when a guy is a shelling guard. And that's what Uzdemir has. He has that traditional shelling guard. Now, straight shots can go through the shelling guard if you're accurate. And well, thankfully for Dominic Reyes, he's pretty damn accurate with that straight left hand, pulling off the counter or coming forward when he's corralling you off the cage and crowding you with it, shooting, firing it down. He's just, he's a lot of range, a lot of pliability to that left hand and how he wants to take a shot. Or throw a shot there. Uh, so I like Reyes here a decent bit. Uh, I was initially scared just because of that narrative and maybe me just naturally being respectful to everybody, but uh, just, you know, especially to a guy with the back in this corner. But man, the UFC did not help but put his back further in that corner, if you ask me. Taking Reyes here, and I even laid down a chalk prop here, the only prop I played inside the distance, minus 121. Uh, I, 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 I laid down on that. 1.5 on it, mm -mm -mm, 0.5 on it, really want it. Uh, come on, how you gonna do it? All right, sorry guys, I'm not gonna punish you with it. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel would don't wanna dance. He's minus 260. All right, uh, Kinones is plus 220 is the comeback. I'm not gonna sing anymore, guys. Sorry, don't worry about it. Um, yeah, Nathaniel Wood, man. This is another one where, uh, bad pick. I don't know why I picked... Uh, Andre Ula last time. It was one of those I think, on the avoid list because I, I barely did the, the tape study, which I, there are actually two of these ones that I'll caveat. I, I do have actually decent takes and did watch tape on them, but didn't do the full comb, if you will. And that's at the very end. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I think that was the case, too, with that Wood Ula. I'm not trying to make excuses, but also just it, I do remember what was a, a turning point, even though I liked, and I do remember saying this in the breakdown, that I believe Wood's ceiling is higher. But the reason why I went with Ul because I wasn't sure that Nathaniel would would or could take him down with consistently, which he did, and that was a smart move. Um, but but uh, the reason why I didn't believe that is because I wasn't sure if he could fight smart, uh, because that was the thing in victory or defeat, and the, the kid was just taking ridiculous amounts of damage. And I was like, shit, do we have another Tom, you know, Duke and Juan on our hands? Do we have another uh, insert? Uh, boy, I better not burn all these names. But again, you know, again, you use a lot of these quote unquote. Guys, we we jump on a little too hot out the gate. They don't they don't maybe pan out to what we want. Um, and not trying to be unfair to Duke and Wall, whose name I throw out there. By the way, he's still young and still very talented. Obviously, 
still has a bright future. Just saying, right? Just saying. Just throwing that out there for comparison. Um, no, he fights a smart fight, and I like it, uh, and, and it makes sense. You know, he's he's training with arguably one of the the, the best uh, unheralded uh, UK wrestlers to come from there, right? Brad Pickett, though. There's another guy on the card to challenge that. And again, Brad Pickett was also one of those guys that, that went went to the States to train and, and to shore that up. So, um, but, but yeah, he's brought that knowledge back with him, that said. And, and obviously, Brad Pickett, I'm just one of my favorite bantamweights of all time, uh, is, is, is training his young Jedi well. Uh, whereas Quinones has been uh, quiet money for people paying attention just because he's, just, he's literally just one of those Mexican dudes with a motor, ridiculous chin, uh, he does get hurt, actually, and we'll talk about that in a second, but he recovers really well, and his pace just does not wane. Uh, underrated grappling, especially when he gets from the bio lock, he's really relentless. He knows how to defend the attacks that are going to come from those positions and how he transitions from those positions. He doesn't get too fancy, though his control could obviously be a lot better. Um, he knows, you know, there are some parts of his grappling game that are, are, that, that are, that are slop, but he knows his slop, and he slops it well. So, I mean, that is a compliment. Uh, that being said, I'm not sure if he's going to outgrapple Nathaniel Wood. Now, wrestling and scrambling is another story. It could be really interesting. If he's able to create it, whether he's being offensive or create them by, by virtue of having to be de defensive off of Nathaniel Wood's offense, it could get very interesting, especially... As the rounds go on, if Wood gets to, starts to tire, because you know Quinones is not, despite the travel. Um, that being said, Quinones does tend to kind of either lose focus. I don't know if it's quite tiring because he's still moving, but the moves get lackadaisical. So I don't know if it's from a f end round fatigue or he's just losing, um, or he's just losing focus. You know, when I was when I was, we'll go to Arnold Allen in a second, but I, I, I subsequently had to revisit Mads Brunel through Arnold Allen. And, you know, that was something I was just wondering with, with Brunel. Like, is it a gas tank or are you losing focus is why you're, you're losing by... You're a submission specialist, but you're losing by submission, but you're losing by submission, like, late in the fights. You know, what's going on there? Are we, you know, in fights you're winning a lot of times. Like, are we just losing focus? Is it fatigue? I think it was obviously focus against his loss against Allen, which we'll get to. I don't want to jump the gun there, but back to... Um, Quinones toward the end of rounds, not so much submissions, punches, strikes. He gets dropped toward the end of rounds. Jimmy Smith picked, was acutely aware of this as well, uh, picking it up on the broadcast um, in one of his last fights. And uh, I got to imagine Pickett and Wood have picked up on that as well. And that actually fits more toward Wood's style. I feel like Wood needs to, you know, part of the reason why he takes damage, uh, not just because, you know, he's a risky ballsy young fighter but even when he's fighting smart um he's just one of those guys you know he really kind of has to feel and faint and feel his way into the pocket and really feel his way into that boxing range and the danger of that is um you know mma small gloves now you're in the fight and uh you're used to sparring and kind of getting into these rhythms and and and, and that fight speed, you know, which is why we see a lot of boxers get caught by the, maybe the less talented striker, so to speak, right? Because they're they're kind of coming into it with a, it's very hard to explain, but there's a different swagger and attitude. It's not something you consciously try to do, but you you kind of get get in the habit of doing it. And I see a lot of that with Wood. And um, 
But the good news to that is that he tends to start punctuating toward the end of rounds and at the end of exchanges. And that's where I see him catching Keenone is just punctuating him at the end of exchanges here, at the end of rounds. So I had to read my note on that one. I actually had a note for that one. Look at that. Um, but, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Wood inside the distance. I don't know if I was going to sprinkle on that. I think it's like plus 115. I just looked at it. It is inside the distance line. But um, it, the line came back down to earth. I could have swore it hit like minus 300 or some shit. It's minus 260 now. But, eh, I don't think, I don't know if I'm doing any parlays this card. And I don't know if I'd put Wood on it, you know, for that price. It seems like it's going to be a real entertaining fight. Um, picking Wood, get it done inside the distance. But, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I guess it's fair to say I'm not as confident as the line. But not by much. All right. Next fight. Claudio Silva minus 150. Danny Roberts plus 130. All right. Um, and this one is... Uh, this one's on the, uh, on the avoid list. A lot of reasons. I, I do think it justifies it because it's... So close, I don't really know how much money you're making on either guy, and it's close competitively on paper, where even though I'm picking the favorite Claudio Silva, and that's more than a playable line, I don't know if I'm confident enough to uh, go and uh, exercise that accessible line. Um, you know, it's a southpaw versus southpaw matchup, but it's different, you know. Claudio Silva is a real awkward striker for one, awkward timings. And he says he's been working on striking a lot. I think Holland and with some other Brazilian coaches. And he's a, he's a Brazilian, which really doesn't roll off the tongue, especially the way he says it. But I appreciate his sentiment there. Um, and, but he just makes fights ugly. And that's why his strikes work, because people are worried about his ground game. And then he blasts you up high. So I don't, I don't doubt that he wants to try and knock out Danny Roberts. That being said, uh, don't be foolish. He's, he's obviously... I'm sure he's going to go for the takedown when he can, whether it's reactive or coming forward. He has both. They're not the prettiest things, but Claudio Silva gets after it. He hustles for it, and that's how he gets a lot of his takedowns. And that's also probably why his record is what it is, even though on tape it, it, he doesn't impress you. Um, I took Nordy to Leb in the last one just because of the layoff and the unimpressiveness, even though he kind of had that factor to him. And even though spotting that factor, even I still underestimated it, uh, he won. And... Uh, Maybe it's me overcooking the steering wheel there. Maybe it's the fact that I've been wrong on a lot of Danny Roberts' fights. I'm a big fan of hot chocolate, by the way. Like, I'm rooting for hot chocolate 100% here. Uh, ever since his triangle went over Nathan Coy, because uh, he was working with my coach Neil at the time, been a fan of that, f fan of him. But then I picked a lot of his fights wrong, too. And you just, you know, some more shockers is just with the, the KOs and the way they came. And, you know, you start wondering about the critics. Like, how is the chin, you know, which... There's a thought here as far as measuring. It's not, you know, like he's going to have no worries at all on the feet. Like, he could still get hurt, right? I mean, even if you're not a harder cr critic of Danny Roberts' chin, Claudio Silva still swings with hard intent. Um, and Danny Roberts is really good off his back. His leg dexterity shows their underrated grappling, and offensively especially. You go back, watch his early fights, but I I'm not sure how good his get-ups game is going to be against Claudio Silva's control game because Claudio Silva gets after it, but he's real quick to go to from getting after it to control. And you'll see him, he'll usually kind of just reach over, he'll get in some type of a half guard, and he'll reach over and he'll kind of club down right between the neck, between where your head and shoulder meets, 
and he kind of just claps down on the guy and kind of scoots himself up and, and settles himself in a position. And soon after, he's working his way toward Mount. And then he has those Donkey Kong punches, which really sell judges over to win rounds, uh, which we've seen him do. I mean, he, he can be getting beat up for the mo most part of a round, and we'll see him just get, get a takedown late, score that back control, and just throw those really big clubbing shots, just over-animating his shots, that, like, over-animating the damage they're actually doing. But that works fucking good against judges. Um, so I'll be rooting for Danny Roberts to land his counter and hurt him, but I just feel like Claudio Silva has more ways to win the fight. Maybe I'm talking myself into a bet. now. Nah, probably not. Probably because I like Danny Roberts too much. But if you see an angle, go for it. it it's on my avoid list, honestly. It's, uh, that's my thoughts on it. All right. Uh, Jack Marshman. Marshman. Uh, this is for the Welsh Kingdom. Uh, minus 150 versus John. No longer the white Mike Tyson. And now is the Welsh Wrecking Machine Phillips. Come back on him plus 130. Um, I mean, John Phillips, you know, watching, I, I didn't follow him closely, obviously from the UK scene, but when going to do my research on this guy uh, a couple fights of his ago, it was fun watching some of them, right? Especially the wins. I can see why people get excited. But, uh, but yeah, man, just the more you kind of watch and you see him extended in a fight with decent or moderate competition, it's, you know, the hype went away fast, let's just say. Went from Tom Hardy to Tom Hardy stuntman. That's what he reminds me of. He's like Tom Hardy from Warrior Stuntman. Like I imagine, you know, John Phil, that sounds like I'm shit on the guy. I'm trying to be disrespectful here. Just like, uh, doing my more character doppelgangers. And that's how I kind of see, see that dude. Badass, don't get me wrong, but... As far as top level fighter, I think we we've seen we've seen that image iron out more clear. Let's just say that said, same with Marshman. And I was a guy came in high on Marshman, picked him to beat Tiago Santos, which he almost did. Don't forget, he stunned him real good against the cage. He was maybe one another good clean land away uh, and missed his opportunity and get, got stopped in the following round. Uh, and you know, he had some submission wins back in Bama, or maybe it was Cage Warriors. I can't remember purple belt I want to say in Brazilian jiu-jitsu so you're like it's not his specialty but he's got something there but the problem was it never really got much better than that regional level and we really saw that um on a couple of his fights now in the UFC so I'm still a fan of Marshman man I'm not, I'm not trying to kick these guys when they're down or shit on guys believe me that's not my style obviously respect all these dudes and ladies and ladies but uh it's clear at this point Marshman is just going to be one of those dudes where you just want him in fun matchups. You just want to put him in striking-friendly matchups in the prelims or in a main card opener or something, depending on the matchup. I mean, I'm opener, but you know what I mean. Like, you just want to put him in the fun matchups. That's it. Don't waste your time. Uh, but I'm picking him here. He's got more tools at the end of the day, uh, more technique standing. And this is going to be one of the few matchups where he's got a ground advantage. So I got Marshman here. That one's pretty crazy. That almost made my avoid list just because of the level of the kind of fight it's going to be. But yeah, if, you, if you like an angle there, take it. Um, at your own risk, which is a big one. Uh, all right, Arnold Allen, minus 135. Jordan Rinaldi, plus 115. This was a tough one for me. You know, like I mentioned before, I'm a, I'm a fan of Arnold Allen despite uh, picking against him previously. I might have picked against him even twice, maybe. I don't know. I, I know... Uh, Especially early on, I was a fan of, uh, not that I'm not anymore, but just early on, I was, I was much higher on Mac 1 Americani, so uh, I think I, 
I cashed him early as a dog on his debut. And, uh, you know, those guys always kind of stick with you. Like, hey, this guy. Uh, but I did pick Mads Brunel to beat Arnold Allen. But that was just because, you know, I really like Arnold Allen's style. He's so scrappy. And he's um, fun southpaw, boxes. He's got submissions, can wrestle, scramble, like everything you want in a fighter. But granted, he's only fighting once a year. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I just don't feel like as soon as he's gotten to the top competition, we've seen him been able to wash away or really punctuate and put guys away. Now, he did finish Yeltsin Mezo, people, lest we forget. That was one of those forgotten, you know, we talk, oh, you know, uh, St. Prue versus uh, Dominic Reyes or Ricky Simon Vato versus uh, Crazy Marab, uh, Devilishvili. Like, those third round things, is, is the fight over? Did he stop him? That was another one. It was a decision, but he, he knocked out Yeltsin Mezo there. Um... I apologize, guys. I'm trying to keep my energy up, but just my, my, my throat and trying to trying to cut through it. Boh. <laughs> a little Liverpool thing. Like, and, of course, you know, when you do, when you do, you do the accent, there's always the go-tos. Like, you know, like for, for Liverpool, I'm sure, fucking. But I like the butt because, like, that's, like, another, like, kind of, like, pre-sequitur or whatever. They use a lot. Like, it's always... Boh. You know, he's good. He's a good striker. Boch. I think I'm better. Boch. I love it. I love Boch. Sorry, I'm not making fun. I'm jealous. If I, I'm jealous. Believe me. I love English accents. That's why I, I poorly try to do them. And even more poorly because my, my voice is all, you know, parsed out here. Fucking hell, it's not as if there is a fucking reason, but I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm spitting on my computer screen. Where was I? Oh, yeah, um, Arnold Allen, who's not even from Liverpool, Jesus Christ. He's Suffolk, Suffolk, Suffolk County. Um, that is funny, man. That kid's funny. Fucking outing his dad. Is that going to thank me, dad, over here? But I'm all clean, I tell you, but he's on steroids. <laughs> I'm trying to do everybody like Darren Till. I'm sorry. But yeah, Arnold Allen's last uh, post fight, that was hilarious. Uh, but no, it was, it's, it's, I'm, I'm keep losing track here. I'm sorry, guys. It, 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 it's, you know, he'll drop for submissions. He'll scramble almost too much at times and end up on bottom and put himself in precarious positions. Um, you know, inability to consistently separ separate and make the separations he needs to. Uh, was why I picked Brunel. And I was look crazy for picking Brunel, but he's one of those guys, I'm, you know, I don't know why one out of the UFC's gotten like two or three submission wins straight since this that loss, but uh, he's one of those guys where, like I said, it reminds me where I need to trust my eyes more, where it's just one of those things where you get a little bit of sample size, and I'm like, oh, okay, I like what I see, and then I see whether it's the odds makers or Twitter, you know, saying this guy's garbage or, you know... Um, his stand-up's trash and stuff, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. His boxing looked good from the footage I saw, and then, you know, by the time this Arnold Allen fight comes around, I think he started swaying people and started saying, oh, wow, this guy can, can strike and put takedowns together, and I was like, yeah, meet us all. Also, you know, people who train with him, too, because those Art Suave guys come down to Extreme Couture. Shouts to Dennis Davis and Eric Nixick, who, who say those guys are legit, 
Uh, same with asking about ads of each last time, and that guy's uh, guy's legit. We'll say that. All right. Um, let's go. Oh yeah, yeah. But actually, uh, so yeah, I actually ended up picking Ronaldo here. I know I'm I'm, I'm long winded about this. I came in leaning toward Allen. I know a lot of the press is on him. I didn't watch John Gooden special. I want to watch that. That's awesome that John does that. I hope he does more. I'm sure it's very good, uh, but it probably just was going to make me biased toward a pick. And I actually came out on the dog, and, and, I, and I played him here lately. It looked like looks, looks like with the line's gone. I see why money's moved in on Ronaldo. So, um, you know, I, I touched I touched it plus 115. I'm not going to lie, but uh, nothing too crazy. Um, I just think Ronaldo. You know, his mix between, from his days from one kick mix to working with Upstate Karate, he is that, that hybrid now where he uses, you know, boxing and will use leg kicks, right? Your traditional weapons, but he does it from the wider kind of karate stance, and I like that because I like that movement because you could say it's effective or ineffective, but when a guy's strength is grappling and getting you down, uh, I don't, you know... Um, and not that it's not important. Obviously, striking everything is important. It's 2019 MMA, folks. But he is less dependent on his ability to strike with his opponent. So if his opponent is a better striker, he doesn't necessarily be, have to be subject to striking, even if there's times where he can't get him down or needs to take a break. Whereas someone who is more plotty and needs to be in the pocket or conducts himself that way at typical ranges they are going to be eaten up when they're forced to compete in the quote-unquote average typical ranges with a better striker. So even though I think uh, Allen is the better striker, he's a more chance of landing the knockout, um, I feel like it's going to be, have to be like the, kind of the perfect punch, kind of like with the Muntasri punch that landed on Ronaldo, you know? And uh, because, again, I'm not seeing that ridiculous... One punch power from Arnold. Not that he should. He's a, you know, he's a featherweight, but you know, he's a strong guy. His strength though comes through in other areas. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to give up. But Ronaldo's a smart guy, a control grappler. Uh, he, he's a voracious back taker. And uh, if he can get to those positions, I think his strength and conditioning is going to match up fine. He he takes it real seriously. Seems like one of those dudes. So. I'm actually going to go with the Road Dog Rinaldi. Road Dog Rinaldi, but I'm not super confident. I'm confident enough to play it for what that's worth. I'm not telling you you should follow me off that cliff. Um, I, that's going to suck for Allen if he loses it. But he can afford a loss because he's had some some fights kind of go his way that, you know, <laughs> he's gotten lucky the last two, you could argue. So can't play the violin too hard. He's a handsome man. He'll be happy. He'll be fine. All right, um, Joe Duffy, minus 175 for Donegal there, yeah. Duffy, versus uh, Mark D. Casey, plus 155. Man, is like, is Mark D. Casey like a likable dude, or is he kind of just kind of come off like an arrogant jerk like all the time? Like, I try to, at this point, like, I don't take that too seriously, and in fact, I get why guys can be confident, and I don't like the oh, this guy's too cocky, oh, he's cocky. Like, I definitely don't want to be one of those dudes. But Dia Casey definitely came off that way when he stepped onto the scene, and I felt that his his talents were a bit overinflated. But then I'm just like, you know, you get caught with the hype like everybody else, and you know, and the guy is ridiculously athletic, which makes it easier to kind of uh, 
when a guy's got that kind of natural athleticism and dynamism, it's like miracle grow fertilizer for your your imagination. And I say your, I mean me, I mean all of us fans, media, hardcores alike. We tend to go, ooh, what can this guy do? And, you know, I was, I was victim of that as well. But there were also things where you're like, okay, is he, is he really that good or is it just his athleticism? Does he have that much technique? Or is he just putting it into these one shots? And when the competition got better and the fights didn't go his way, um, you know, you could kind of see that. Now, he did have that one really digging deep performance against now re retired or retired twice Frankie Perez. Um, but like, but like, yeah, like aside from that, like I, I haven't seen the higher gears, the higher gear to beat that level, but a guy like Joe Duffy who, yeah, he lost to James Vick, but a lot of that I think was the matchup. And then also he's talking about it now. He didn't talk about it initially cause he's a class guy, but you know, we talked to Joe Duffy. We had a real fun episode by the way, NMA Junkie Radio. It was probably earlier in 2018. Yeah. Early 2018. And uh, it was so funny that, you know, usually not really talking to these guys at CMIT events, but I saw Joe at uh, UFC 223, him and Zach Makovsky, and they were, I don't remember, because uh, it was apropos, because St. Patty Day is coming up. We were essentially just sharing stories of drunk stories, and his were like, his best ones were St. Patty's Day, go figure. And uh, I think Joe, like, like, and he's great because he's such a buttoned up guy, but he's sitting there sharing a story about how he shit himself. And like, it's just hilarious. A guy who's just so fucking candid and likable and, and seems so buttoned up and, and monitored from Donegal, like Joe Duffy. And, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, and, and I'm sorry if that seems like there's already bias leading into this pick um and play by the way you know i'm kind of giving myself away here but uh i don't think his line i think his line's off you know even after the three losses like i'm surprised you know i'm surprised hack press was, was a dog and i didn't state that so boldly even though i picked hack press outright on my breakdown of that fight but i it was like yeah kind of surprised um that he was the dog and that's just you know i think popularity you know, the English money, athletic, athletic, explosive guy. We all love betting on those guys. You know, they, they seem to capture the imagination from the casual, the hardcore. None can, none can resist the power of the explosive striker. Ah! Right? And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I, I get it from that sense, but I, I haven't seen the layers. And part of it is in his defense, and I've, I've heard, I think, him say this himself, but other people around him. And this is very true and very defensible, DKC. Like, he's kind of was thrown in there. He was thrown into the wolves. Sure, he was cocky as shit and doing well at first. But really, you look at it, he was thrown in early, man. And, you know, uh, you, you could argue maybe he was, you, you can even argue that some guys get thrown into the super camp a bit early, right? And now you see him not with American Top Team. Now, that could be with finances and visa. You know, he's there for a minute. It's not been exactly getting the win bonuses of late with three losses in a row. So sometimes they have to go to another camp, right? Or back to their old camp, like Ozdemir did. Uh, and that could be troublesome, definitely, you know, sure. But in his defense, it could also be good or just a sign of his progression slash reinforcing the statement that he hasn't found himself. Look at guys like, uh, I'm trying to think of another name, but I know Tony Martin's one. He initially left American Top Team because the room, he was getting, he it said to himself, he was getting eaten up in that room. He needed to, to focus more at Brock Larson at the satellite school, right? The affiliate. What he does, he goes some 
does some you know trades some wins and losses, hits some tough times, finds himself, finds his weight class, finds his way back to ATT, and he's kicking ass now. So it's not a knock, but it could be just again he just got put. It's not that he's a bad fighter by any means; he's a good fighter, Mark DKC is. But just saying for this level, he may have been pushed too fast too soon. And uh, I do like Joe, and I am picking him and playing him, but it's not because like oh I'm sure DKC is a nice guy, but just I'm just saying he just seems cocky as fuck, man. Because, like, you know, from the Fanky Press fight, and okay, maybe they had some beef or whatever, but then you just see the, like, even, like, Dan Hardy, like, paying him compliments, what I imagine in, in the pre-fight interview before, because they made the bet for the Mohawk or whatever, uh, like, the friendly bet, and then he's just, you know, and, and I love Dan Hardy and Gooden, but it's not like, it's not like they don't not uh, put over English guys, right? Like, completely putting them over, giving them the, 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 full, the full wash treatment. Which is fine, and he wins. Um, this was a oh, fuck. What fight? Yeah, yeah, that was. I think it's a team with Packlin, or maybe that was. And um, and he's just still like, just like, yeah, me, me. Like, no, not even an inkling of fucking humility, even like, because you even see the toughest guys. It's kind of ah, oh, when they get the win, they get a little emotion. Like there it is. There's the emotion. Motion, and like this guy just fucking seemed like fucking cocked. Good, like, straight to finish, like, and then even on like they did a little like promo thing. I saw the UFC do like a video. I'm like, I was first I'm like surprised. I'm like, doing a promo on this guy. He's got three. He's not even on the main card. And he's got three losses in a row. And like, and then of course like they're revisiting. Their angle was they revisited that Timu Paklin fight, right? This knockout, like its first fight. Like, oh, okay, well it makes sense. They had to go back that far if they're gonna you know do a fucking puff piece on the guy. And you're like, okay, well, he's three losses. You think maybe he's focused? Maybe he's going to be a little a little more down to earth, a little more grounded. And no, he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, I knock him out. Excuse me, on flesh. Ah, ah. Like, fucking get over yourself, dude. Like, parts of me wants to, like, respect it and be like, you know, I picked up here, but DK, she's a good guy. He's got, got a lot of ups. So I'm going to respect him. You know what? No, I... Like I said, I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be, a lot of, like I said, this card's going to be revealing a lot of prospects maybe that, that maybe weren't prospects. And I'm going to go ahead and play the DKC's one of them. I got 1.75 for one, minus 175, a Duffy. All right. And I know that counts off, that comes off callous maybe particularly for me, but that's, I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm not saying DKC's a bad guy or a bad fighter by any means. I'm just calling it like I see it. All right. Uh... Saperbeck Saparov, underdog, plus 140. Nick Negumeriani, minus 160. The undefeated. Dude, if I'm guilty of, like, emotionally playing. Well, actually, I was playing this guy. I played Saparov, picked and played him just by looking at the records. Um, you know, this guy's only fought in an exclusive Romanian league against losers or debuting fighters early on. And one of the guys early on is, like, a debuting fighter. This is a, was it? this guy was like, yeah, he was debuting and he only had the one fight. Uh, this Romanian guy, I don't know his background. It looks like he's a wrestler, but that's that's about it. It's like decent striking. Like he's been watching people who know how to strike and he's been imitating him for a minute and he's getting really good at imitating it. But when the exchange gets pretty heated beyond one or two punches, um, Nikolai Negumerianu doesn't seem to... He seems he looks really green. His head will either come up and straight back if he's retreating, or his swings will get a little more wilder and he'll kind of just crash distance really ugly into the clinch, right? 
Uh, it's either one of two things. Um, and uh, Saparov's ugliness is more experienced and more powerful. But this guy does have a really mean suplex. And once he gets to the body lock, he immediately uh, ducks under the arm, gets to their back, and then just gets under their hip and launches. And he hurts guys with it. Like, two of his early TKO fights, which are sadly are some of the only fights you can, at least I could find online. I didn't dig too, too deep. Um... I just did the old, pretty much just did the old whatever popped up on Google for this one. And, uh, and yeah, it was just, you know, he hurt guys with it, but it was just sad. Like, he mounts his one dude that was zero and zero uh, after he slams him. Like, the guy's already clearly hurt up to the slam. He was done. But then he, like, gets on his back and then does a, like, he's a badass. Like, he didn't even, like, at least Ben Askren fucking dominated a guy for a couple rounds and, even though it wasn't, you know, you, you, you know, it wasn't the funniest thing in the world, obviously. At least it was somewhat of an attempt of, uh, of, of comedy, you know, or, or whatnot. And I'm not backing Ben Askren of that move, by the way, but I'm just saying it was much less offensive for whatever that's worth. Like, this just oozed in douchiness, dude. And then he just starts smashing the guy afterwards, after he just does his scream. And, like, the first two punches were, like, to the back of the head. And then I think he gets one legal blow in, but the ref was already stopping it, which he should have and could have done. After the initial slam, and this dude just walks around like he's a badass. Uh, uh, the guy comes to you and just looks like he wants to fucking kill him, as I, as, as he should, uh, just for being that disrespectful. And this dude just shows no inkling, like, of anything. Like, he just looks like, like, I don't know if Romania has, like, the bully jock, but this guy looks like that fucking bully jock. He looks, and again, you know. Any personalists is coming out from Dan Tom's breakdown. He looks like the dude I would want to. I, I, that Dan Tom was actively trying to uh, kids I was actively trying to fight in high school, uh, aka kids on the football team who I didn't grow up with. Was best friends with half of them and was literally trying to fight um, the other ones almost every other weekend because fuck jocks, right? I was that kid. Anyways, um, but yeah, this guy fucking Negu Naramai just fucking comes off that way, dude. Just douchiness like he looks like his attitude is like that boy on uh not Velichkovich uh it was the heavyweight uh, the, the the can guy the fucking shit kicker um that would hit refs and hit people after the ref stopped it and then he got to UFC level fights and just looked like the fucking tubby shit that he was what was his name he fought Francis Ngannou um I don't know, fuck that guy. But he's like him, attitude-wise, and then, but like, if I'm like trying to be an, an, an analyst here, and the reason why I'm playing him, and the spot is because I think everybody, I think the, the couple slams that are online, uh, whatever wrestling base he has and the undefeated record is fooling the odds makers in public. Uh, especially when you pair him opposite of a guy who uh, uh, looks like the, uh, <laughs> I said in my, Usually do 21 breakdown demeanor of a guy you pissed off in a parking lot. Uh, middle-aged guy looking Saperbeck Saparov. I get it, but Saparov's uh, master of sports in wrestling and combat sambo, although it's not that great, not the top of that. Uh, accolade, obviously, if he still has it, and it's a big part of his game. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that against Saperbeck. And Saperbeck's pretty tough. Um, you know, he got caught by... Tyson Pager, who was another kind of overinflated dude. No disrespect to Tyson. I'm a fan of Tyson. Uh, but as far as, like, the lines were for, for, for a lot of his fights, let's just say, uh, a, a bit, you could argue, right, a little overinflated, perhaps. Um, 
and I get it, you know, I get it for his sake too, but you also, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Tyson here, and it was super slick. If anything, I'm crediting him, but it it wasn't fluky. It was just super slick, and he got faked out. He was going for a shot. Tyson hits a switch. Um, Saparov block, blocks it, and it's like he knows he's not going to get it, but after, but the, he really wasn't trying to hit the switch. Tyson kind of went like he was going for the switch, but used that to uh, give his hand an excuse to hang over the tricep, and then he immediately loops it into the double wrist lock grip and turns him. So he caught him off guard in that sense, and Zaparov did the right thing and rolled through, and he would have either gave position or created a scramble, but the problem was he rolled through and the fence was right there. So he got caught off guard, and... Sometimes if you're lucky in this game, you can get caught in one step, but there's still another There's still another exit, right? You, there's still one more exit before you, you reach hell. And he missed that exit because the fence was right there. So, again, I'm not taking anything from Tyson Pedro. I'm just saying it was a more excusable loss than perhaps what critics may say. Um, and I don't know if critics are saying anything. I'm just saying critics because he's the damn underdog, right? Uh so, yeah, I took a shot on, on Saparov. But, oh, yeah, by the way, the guy I was comparing to him critically as an analyst with the whole inflated record and all that um, was um, Ion Cute Lava, you know. And I think Ion Cute Lava is better than this guy, even the initial Ion Cute Lava that came out of the scene. Not that he's gotten dramatically better since then, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. So we'll see. Either, either way, um, yeah, this guy just looks like garbage, so... And like human being as well, so that'll be not, not not not. It's rare you get to like root against people. Like I guess that's maybe that was the appeal of the Greg Hardy uh, Heat, right? You get to root against. I, and that, I think that would be the one silver lining that I think even people that don't want him in the UFC won't admit to liking. But in so deep inside, if you ask the devil inside him, they go, "Yeah, I like having someone like that to root against." <laughs> and I try to I try to stay above that, you know, uh, no matter the situation. I, I guess. But it's it's tough. I have my own opinions too, people. What can I say? All right. Um, next fight. Boy, this one's on the avoid list, especially because of the line. Now it's just like it's so close. Um, you know, I, I, you're not really getting much value on it. Uh, and I kind of predicted it. When I, of all the dogs that got released, I figured I, Heinish was a guy that I saw that money was going to come in on, and money has came in because now – Breeze is only a very ever so slight favorite, minus 115, uh, minus 105 Heinish. Practically a pick him here, guys. Um, I was really back and forth on this one. I came in leaning Breeze and then was like, no, am I going to get schooled by this Heinish guy again? Like, I liked Heinish from the regional to the, because I had to look at his regional stuff for the Dana White Contender Series, and I gave him a A or A plus. I gave him a, an A at least. I gave him a great grade for the Dana White Contender Series. He's a great story, but. Man, I'll tell you, like, even if Fajeda, I know Fajeda's not that great. He's not going to be a world champion, and I thought that before that fight. And maybe he did fall off a cliff, but on paper, like, I feel like I would still 9 out of, or 10 out of 10 times bet Fajeda in that spot. I didn't see how it was lined so closely. I believe Heinish was the dog as he should have been. Short notice, not as much experience. Um, his only loss coming to a lesser a lesser skilled, a lesser credentialed Southpaw Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Holy shit, of course he's going to lose his UFC debut in Brazil against a guy who's better than the prototype he already lost to. And if you just look at that fight, like it was a 
and I, it, props to Heinish and props to the his corner, Mark Montoya. Obviously, you all know I'm I'm I've been pounding that drum uh, hard for the last year and a half or so, um, at least maybe longer than that. But uh, but yeah, props to their team really guided him through that fire. But the fight wasn't going well for him. He just had moments at the at the end of the first two rounds where he could have stole the rounds and and did on some of the judges' scorecards, obviously. And then, of course, the, then the third round comes, and he uh, rocks him with a shot, and is able to kind of just pile on the momentum. And it was kind of like, it was like the perfect fight. Like it's like I don't know how he could lose, even after seeing it, and then after seeing that it happened, going back and rewatching it, it's like, yeah, I guess this is like this is like the one way I would draw up him losing this fight. Like, and I'm not trying to take away from Heinish there, and I know Fajeda's got that chin, and that definitely was a possibility of Heinish knocking him out. I just didn't see that happening, especially by decision. Um, now Heinish has not a full camp, but a longer camp. He's got just over four weeks. Um, Breeze was initially supposed to face someone else. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah. Um, so now he's got a bit longer to prepare. Uh, but he's not going to have, traveling overseas again, he's not going to have Mark Montoya. Mark Montoya is going to be in Russia with Kamozi. Um, that's probably good because that means he will do less messing around on the feet. Although if he gets stuck on the feet, he's going to have less adjustments because Montoya is the guy for adjustments, especially for Heinish's game. He needs that. I think that said from the interviews, Heinish sounds like he's pretty dialed in what he knows what he needs to do. He's a blast through this guy, pressure, pressure and break him. And that's exactly what he needs to do. He needs to use his wrestling. That said, his wrestling, at least in the UFC, he's been taking down more than he's been scoring takedowns for the most part. I mean, guys who want to take him down have been able to take him down. And that's scary because Breeze actually has pretty good takedowns. Um, we didn't see, you haven't seen too many of them in the UFC. We saw more of them in Bama, Cage Warriors, mainly Bama. But uh, I actually went back to watch a lot of those fights this time around. Um, I thought I was going to watch a couple from each guy, and I just went into a hole with Breeze just because it's been a minute. Uh, Dan Kelly aside, it's been a minute. And um, what I liked about when I was reading my older breakdowns and go watching older footage, just remembering what I liked about Breeze early on was not even the jab and cross that he's kind of known for now. It was his, his jiu-jitsu game, his grappling game, particularly, uh, particularly off the bottom. You know, I was, I'm a real big fan of guys who are long and know how to use that length, you know, and are really good triangle guys, can elevate the hips, they can windshield wiper the knees and shin over the shoulders for their triangle catches, and they can make those adjustments once they get the catches. Breeze does that. Um, I'm super impressed. Uh, that said, do I feel comfortable him, you know, having to win off the back? No, but it is an option. Uh, we have seen Heinish submitted. <clears throat> is the way he has lost. So there's that. And I know that's got to be in Breeze's mind. So even if Heinish is successful, he's not out of the woods. And he's still going to have to get past Breeze's jab. Um, say what you will about the jab. That was one thing when I went back for the hate of fight. How did he lose this? That was, I know I was just acting completely confounded and perhaps playing it up to make drive the point. But to be fair, a big reason why Fajeda lost was because of his activity. And not just his activity, more particularly, he didn't throw a jab. Uh, not that Fajeda has the most present jab. He usually uses much more of a jab, which, again, makes that performance all the more weirder for him. Neither here nor there. He didn't throw a jab. And there were so many instances when he did, it was there. Or if he would have, it would have been there. And 
not that Heinish doesn't move his head. Uh, you know, he has certain preset combinations where his head movement looks solid going in on him. But if you got a consistent guy flicking out the jab who knows how to use it like a breeze, that could be a problem, especially coming from the southpaw stance. Not used to jabbing with southpaws, although, you know, he is training a lot of this camp with Kamozi. They're peaking at a similar time, so it's not like he didn't have a southpaw striker, him and as well as uh, Jacoby, I believe, you know, uh, quote-unquote glory-level strikers to worry uh, work with. Um, so, you know, uh, it's not like he's not going to be prepared, but I'm just saying that that's going to be something that I want to see play out in real time. Only, only Heinish, his coaches, and his teammates know. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. We're not in the gym. I'm just, I'm just talking hypothetically based off the information we do know. Um, so, yeah, uh, even though I was thinking about Heinish as a dog, I ended up picking Breeze here, you know. I'm hoping he pulls it together. I know he has some psychological issues he had, and he addressed those, and we like to pick on those, and it's not it's taboo to talk about. I hope he, Breeze, finds more success because I believe once he finds more success and wins, I think he's going to open up about it more, what happened with him. Uh, I'd like to know out of curiosity, not that I'm a gossip hound, but, um, I, I like when fighters share these things in this regards, you know, it's, it's a serious topic. It's, it's, uh, I like whether it's a Robert Whitaker or Max Holloway can say, Hey, I went through tough times and, uh, hopefully, uh, whatever Tony Ferguson's going through, he can come to grips and, and, uh, turn himself in, so to speak, not legally, but you know what I mean? Just as far as, uh, getting help. So. Tom Breeze apparently did get help, and I don't think we should really criticize him for it now. For being critical, though, how it's going to affect, I don't know. I don't know. We've only seen Tom Breeze once in, in a few years when you really think of it, right? So it's kind of scary from that regard. So, yeah, there's a lot of lot of questions up in the air in this fight, guys. Um, if you've already made a play, which clearly a lot of you have, good luck. But it's on my avoid list. I'm picking Breeze. All right, Dan Ige, minus 140. Danny Henry, plus 120. All right, again, admitted biases here, guys. Admitted biases. You know, Hawaiian from Extreme Couture, like myself, and Danny Gay. Um, so I'm picking him here. And I'm playing him, but I'm not suggesting you go off that. He's the other chalk guy that I'm playing. Uh, 1.5 minus 145. I just took him straight up. I think it's probably going to be a decision, but I just played it straight up. Both guys are durable. They've only lost by decision. Fair mix of submissions and TKOs. Um, but I, I don't know. I think Dan Danny Henry would have to really, like, I don't think he can knock Ige out, but I, it, he'd have to stun him and then, like, get him in a bad position, like take his back and then just wear him out for a round. And then maybe, you know, bank another round to win. But we even saw Ige put in, like, a crazy firefight. He came out on top of the scrambles for the mo or enough to win the round, even though he was started to lose the scrambles at a certain point to uh, Jordan Griffin, who looks like my, my my buddy Montel Williams. Not Montel Williams, although that Montel Williams I'm talking about is actually his son, but either here nor there. He looks just like Jordan Griffin. Jordan Griffin did a really good job and was able to come back strong, right, after starting to win those scrambles out, though, in the second round. And that was more impressive because not only does he get a crazy fast-paced first round that he was not expecting – he wins that first round, right, arguably, at least on two of the three of the judges' scorecards. Then he has a bad dump, and that bad dump leads to a dominating second round, right? And if you're a betting man, like, I would argue it's like, what? Come on, it's got to be what, like, 
3.4 to 4.3 out of 10 times if a guy's gets in a crazy round one, gasses and gets dominated round two, that he's going to come back and win round three? Yeah, I got to imagine that's a low percentile. Again, 3.4 to 4.3 out of 10 times off the top of my head, just making a crude, arbitrary number that I would arguably stand behind. And Dan Ige did, went out and won that round, did what he needed. He listened to his corner. Um, he trains his ass off. And then he was, he was honest again. Vulnerability is strength in my book, people. You can you can look at it however you want, but it's strength in my book, goddammit. And he admits that he didn't want to fight that day. And he didn't say it was sickness. He's like, no, man. It was, you know, he was just up in his head and fucking A, man. I'm sure a lot of fighters feel that, but not everybody says that. And uh, he went through and didn't make excuses. He said, no, he's a fuck how I feel. And, you know, the dude puts his head down and goes to work. And uh, I love my Scottish people, and Danny Henry is. Fun upset machine there, but I, I think it ends here, and Dan Ige takes it. For a close line like minus 140, give me Ige. Give me the Hawaiian heart. Uh, although Scottish durability and heart is is, 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 right, up, is right up there. I love Scottish people. Love Scotland when I was there, by the way. All right. Um, also on the avoid list here, Molly McCann, minus 220. Priscilla Cachoeira, plus 180. Um... I was going to look at Cachoeira here just because she's tough as shit and probably shouldn't have been having to fight Valentina Shevchenko. But then, like, uh, then I rewatched the Molly McCann and I'm like, yeah, it was a bad loss. But, like, Jillian Robertson, we've seen what she's about since then. And you go back and watch Molly McCann's whole body of work. She's an experienced gal, um, despite the ground deficiency. You know, the ground deficiency wouldn't tell you that, but she's admitted to that herself even before that fight. She's like, you know, it's not where it needs to be. And she was right. And even after being dominated, I like that she kept her cool going into the second round in the corner, you know, you know, okay, how much time was I? Okay. Like she was really clear headed. She didn't seem too discouraged and the corner kept her on track. But, but I did like that for that perspective of that sign. Um, and that, that composure shows in her fighting style, at least when she's on the feet. So if that's where this takes place, it's pretty much going to be a boxer versus a brawler. And I'm going to take the boxer, especially if it's in our hometown. So uh, I'm going to go with Molly McCann here. I'm still going to go with the favorite. Uh, no plays, and it's on my avoid list. All right. Uh, that, that fight, I didn't do a ton of study, by the way. So take 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 this fight and the last one with a faint of heart. All right. This one, it's it's English grappler. It's the battle of the English grapplers, baby. Or perhaps... Uh, England's best wrestler versus uh, the all-around guy, Nad Niramani. Minus 135, Mike Grundy plus 115. I think Nad opened like around minus 200, I think. Because when I saw it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a typical Nad Niramani line versus some random newcomer. Because, like, again, that, it's an, I don't want to like dis, dismiss Nad. I think it's been a bad luck of opponents uh, on him. But, like, he gets, you know, Khalid Taha, who's a, an Australian bantamweight. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, I don't, no offense to Khalid, he made a good account of himself, but it's like, and it sucks for Nab because it's like you don't, you damned if you do, you damned if you don't situation. And he also faces Anderson dos Santos, who's you know respectable regional Brazilian guy. If you've been watching from Jungle Fight to like Titan FC kind of stuff, but I mean, you know, another guy could be a bantamweight, or I think usually I think did fight a lot of his career at bantamweight. I want to say, um, you know. Uh, but then, you know, well, he's training with Team Alpha Males, who's going to have a lot of uh, wrestlers or grapple-heavy fighters, but it's like, okay, well, I don't know if Mendez is in the room. I know his pictures of him with Clay Guida, 
But then you just wonder about alpha male in general, right? And you look at the trend and the numbers there and and stuff, even like from that uh, recent interview with Justin Buckholtz, uh, again, on that on Aaron's uh, TSN radio, uh, MMA podcast uh, that I plugged earlier in the show. Um, it makes you wonder. It really does, man. Uh, and uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm running out of time. Well, let me let me take at least some look at this Grundy guy. And I was listening to interviews of him as well. And, yeah, man, the Wigan wrestler, man. Um this guy actually, you know, you don't see too many of the, uh, these uh, uh, of these guys, but he um, he actually is, is is about as decently credentialed as you can be for an English wrestler. You know, uh, he, I mean, don't get me wrong, he didn't make the world stage and make 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 moves there. He didn't get that far, but uh, as far as like Commonwealth Games and stuff like that, I mean, that's uh, a legit, it's a legit, it's a legit, uh, it's a legit crew and crowd. And more importantly, he's into the catch wrestling scene, which England, people stereotype they don't have wrestling, sure, but they got good catch wrestling, folks. Uh, And, you know, Billy Robinson and some legends come come from there. And, uh, you know, Wigan, where he's from and where he wrestles, that actually is a rich catch catch wrestling history itself there, too, and it shows. He's not just a submission wrestler guy that fell in love with submissions or is learning jujitsu. Uh, he's embracing the catch wrestling ways, and you look at it, a lot of it's from head and arm triangles uh, or stuff off the front headlock, like bravo chokes and guillotines, all stuff off front headlock catches. Um, and that could be a problem for Nadir Mani. Nadir Mani, you know, pretty good striker, probably better striker than Grundy for sure, but Grundy, training team Kaoban, uh, Darren Till, even though Southpaw, complete different build. Again, he's training at a striking school, so he's doing as best he can, but the Here's the thing. I think his wrestling is going to be better, which can be a problem because even though Nermani's got the black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the decent boxing into the transition game, it's that transition slash wrestling threat that I believe binds a lot of his game together as far as makes the strikes that he lands works or the takedowns that he gets and even opens up the jiu-jitsu that he wants. Um, it's because he's so well-rounded and he, you know, he puts that on his bio. He's proud that he's well-rounded, but I think that well-rounding has a binding element to it and I think that binding elements wrestling so this could be a stylistic match Grundy doesn't have the same experience uh, you know regionally or UFC but this could be a styles thing so I could see why money's coming in on him I'm picking Grundy but uh, I don't know if I'm going to play it in fact this is on my avoids this just feels like trappy all around and if you got in on that early grindy money good luck if it grows any higher i may i may join you if money comes back the other way we'll see but uh that officially makes my avoids list all right we're gonna recap uh recap this and of course i should have warned from the beginning but you long time listeners know you can check for timestamps if you're running late on time and didn't want to skip that 28 minute intro all right from the top uh I got Jorge Masvidal beating Darren Till. I took a shot on that at plus 220. Uh, I got Leon Edwards beating Gunnar Nelson. Didn't make a play yet. Probably won't. I have Dominic Reyes beating Vulcan Ozdemir. I played Reyes inside the distance, minus 121. I have Nathaniel Wood beating Quinonez. Uh I think he gets it done inside the distance. I haven't played it. I may, but if I do, very, very little. Um, Claudio Silva, I have him beating Danny Roberts, but that's on my avoid list, which Roberts the best there. I got Marshman beating Phillips, no plays. 
I have Rinaldi beating Allen. I did take a shot on Rinaldi. Sorry, Allen. I got Duffy beating Dia Casey. Um, I got a play on Duffy straight. Saparov. I have him upsetting Negu Mariano and hopefully humbling the dude. I played a unit on that plus one forty there. Um, Tom Breeze, I haven't beaten Ian Heinish, but that's this close. That's on the avoids list. Uh, also on the avoids list. Uh, oh, no, 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 also on the avoids list. Uh, Dan Ige, I have him beating Danny Henry. I also played Ige. Uh, on the avoids list, I have Molly McCann beating Priscilla Cachoeira. And I actually went with the dog, Mike Grundy, to upset Madman Amari. But that's also on the avoids list. All right, thanks, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed this week. Getting them out a little earlier each time. <laughs> I'll, I'll do better. But uh, thank you for coming along for the ride. Appreciate it. More top fives. More better everything to come. And hopefully I just get better myself. I'll get some positive vibes that way if you don't mind. Kick this, huh? Get back in it. But uh, good luck this weekend, guys, gals. And always protect your necks.